How can you be part of a religious community that straight up Sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold The church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers, I would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming The church is the most vocal political voice against immigration. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually It seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good American, anti-critical than they are being a good homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. And today... As I am recording this, this feels like a very, very special day for me. And it's because I'm, this whole day is me going back and forth with my publisher, looking at the final interiors, looking at the final exteriors of the book before the first big order of prints of the book come out here to Hawaii for me. So it's been back and forth and fixing things and adding things and just doing the last minute sort of adjustments to get the book right where we want it to just say we're done with that part and we're moving in even closer to the releasing of this. So for those listening, The Making of a Mystic, I almost forgot my own subtitle right now, My Journey with Mushrooms, My Life as a Pastor, and Why It's Okay for Everyone to Relax. That book my first book is coming out May 31st. We're at the beginning of the month right now. The end of this month, my first book will be born into this world for all of you listening to be able to read it, for people who don't know me to be able to read it, for so many people who do know me from a distance, just anybody, a random person on a, on a subway in New York City that you might see it with. I don't wherever... At the end of this month, my book will be out. And today has been a sort of busy, my, I'm sort of more on high alerts. I'm responding to so many messages, but it's the best kind of, I'm in a crunch and it's a sacred crunch of this is all the last minute stuff right before it all starts to happen. So I'm excited. And also I'm taking my kids to Keiki Kicks, which here in Hawaii, Keiki is, you know, uh, how we, how people refer to kids. Um, in Hawaiian. So, you know, cakey kicks still, I'm doing all these messages. I do a quick other conversation with a friend about something different about the book. Then I take my kids, go to soccer. I bring them back and we're eating and playing ice cream cart and then reading my kids to bed. And then I come here and I got another email from my publisher right before I recorded. And now I'm finally sitting down. To record this. So for those of you who have followed my journey, I have so much love for you. I'm so grateful for you. And it feels like I'm entering into a new chapter of the journey. You know, as the podcast continues, the writing goes along with it and I'm entering into a whole new season of my life. And it's going to be the last, the last Sunday for our church, Imagine, is going to be May 29th, I believe, which is the last Sunday of this month. So we entered into the last month of the life of the church that we dreamt of and started almost 10 years ago, gave a, almost a decade of our life to. That is no small thing. 
And now I can look ahead and since we're not going to meet on Mother's Day, say, wow, there's three more of these left. And then there's a whole nother chapter ahead. So if any of you listening in are approaching a threshold where you are going to be stepping out of the old into the new, and that new is both exciting, exhilarating, and possibly terrifying and scary, and it's unknown, and it's it's another one of those leaps, just know I am right there with you in that crossing over the threshold moment. So with all of that said, I wanted to talk today a little bit about heroes and gurus and discovering the power of our own voice and how all of those things are connected. I don't have a title for this yet, but when I'm done with this and when I do some of the put together some of the cover art stuff, I will, but it's about those things. So a couple thoughts before I get into what I have in front of me in a more precise way. We all have heroes, you know, idols, for some of us, they might function like gurus in our life, right? If you're a person who cares about wisdom, if you're a person who's somehow on the Jesus path, if you're a person who reads, a person who wants to grow, then perhaps some of your heroes, idols, gurus, leaders, whoever, those those vocal points, those reference points for you, maybe they're great writers. You know, for some people, it's a Brene Brown for some people, it is a Richard Rohr. For some people, it's a Rob Bell. For some, it is a Cornell West. For some, it is an Austin Channing Brown. For some, it could be, I, I could go on. It's a Nadia Bowles Weber, right? You love the Enneagram. It's a Suzanne Stabile. Or if you find yourself more drawn to leaders and voices of justice and people who are prophetic and calling out institutionalized forms of white supremacy and racism and talking about empire could be of somebody like a Drew Hart, right? I'm just sort of thinking of, you know, someone who I know right now who's a profound writer and, you know, gave me a great endorsement of the book, but we have, or it it could be, it could be anybody. Um, For some of you, it could be Joe Rogan. For others of you, who found out for some people they would look at Joe Rogan like that, that would really bother you. And for people who love Joe Rogan would look at you being bothered by that and that would bother them. And then it's a whole nother thing on the internet. But it's, I think how we relate to these heroes and these reference points is important. I think the weight we put on them says something about us. And I just want to tell a little story and say something about that. You know, I, I will, I will say this to begin with in my own life. I'm not going to give any story, just no context, no anything, just this quote. In my life, every time I would lose one of my heroes, I would gain more of my own voice. And perhaps I'll come back to that. So here's a story. It's 2015. It's about two and a half years after Christine and I moved back to Hawaii. And after going through those first wonderful and challenging and exciting and maddening years of starting a church, I was going back to California for five days for a time of rest, inspiration, etc. And my wife had gotten me tickets to go to an event in California with Richard Rohr. And as I landed at LAX and drove to Orange County where the event was, I actually said out loud to myself with a subtle smile on my face, 
I am here to watch my heroes become human and to watch my idols crash to the ground. <laughs> oh, well, why would a grown man be saying that by himself in a car if it's not like Black Sabbath lyrics or something? And when I said that, it wasn't a negative assessment of Roar at all. I mean, Roar is one of those people for me, really for the past, you know, 12, 13 years or something. You know, it wasn't a negative assessment of Roar. It was the acknowledgement of the pattern within me and the structure of my ego that I had recognized 15 years earlier, which was... I would look to somebody to be this special figure for me. I would recognize they were flawed and imperfect. Their imperfections would disappoint me and I would lose them as a hero, right? I went through that over and over in my life. So by the time I went to this event, I was not surprised by that. I no longer needed people to be that for me, but it was almost like this distant ritual my self and my ego would go through if that were to still happen. And at this point in 2015, Roar was one of the only people left in the world at the time who still had any degree of that old looking up to the senior on the basketball team when you're a freshman, naive kind of mystique left for me. Right? Even though at that point in my life, I didn't need anyone to be that. It was still he was the only version that had still had any of that sort of magical energy at all. And so... You know, uh, he was the first person I read at 23 who I felt really named the experience I had with God. And he rep he powerfully represented a status quo challenging and mystical depth as a follower of Jesus that I resonated with and I felt I was living into in my own life, you know. And by the time I went to this event in 2015, I did not need gods anymore and heroes, but I was thankful to have him as a guide. So... It was like when I went to this event, it was almost like a religious pilgrimage. It was like a death ritual my ego would go through in order to keep going deeper into owning my own voice. Right. So here's something funny that I think of sometimes. Let's So let's be honest for a second. And this is especially true, I think, for spiritual teachers and people who think we have things to say about depth and God and life and love. Right. I include myself in that. And we'll be really honest. A lot of us have this fantasy of going to a richer roar event or whoever you look up to, right? You're going to a Brene Brown taping. You're going to write all these people I just mentioned. And we have this fantasy of going to an event and having that special person single you out, desire to befriend you tell you that everything you ever thought you were capable of is true and maybe even bring you up in front of everyone else and tell them the ultimate truth that in fact you are the one <laughs> right like i don't think my ego is the only one who has that kind of imagination i mean maybe not everybody wants to be referred to as the one but maybe some of you have thought that before but there's something within these fantasies that is critical for us to pay attention to. Because I think the energy surging through these fantasies is this deep thing within us that longs for some distant, more powerful, more evolved and special figure to find us and give us something we believe we need to be fully ourselves. Which raises this question for me. What do we ultimately desire from these fantasy-like scenarios with our idols and would-be gurus and heroes? 
Well, we want them to tell us that everything we ever believed we were capable of is true. We want them to give us the permission to be everything we dream of being. We want them to befriend us and offer to personally mentor and be with us, right? It's all different versions of those things. And as we take that a step further, it's like, okay, well, what is all of that anyways? Recognition, affirmation, validation, permission, connection. See, this is why having these idols and heroes and strong reference points and gurus can become a massive obstacle to us knowing our own voice and embracing the unique adventure of our own path. When we look to, you know, these seemingly special people, we want affirmation we don't need, validation they can't give us, and permission they don't have the authorization to offer us. Stop right there for a second. We keep looking to others to tell us what at a deeper level we already know is true about us. We are seeking out from those we perceive as more powerful or established or special than us what the Spirit can give to us directly. The recognition of the uniqueness of who we are. The Spirit can speak that directly to your spirit. The validation of our inherent value as human beings, the gaze of God that is fixed upon you with love can give that to you. We, we want the permission to create, make, to love and build for a better world when the Spirit has already authorized us and empowered us to do that. See, whatever you imagine and long for from that guru or leader or speaker or writer, whatever you long for them to affirm within you is probably already true about you. It just seems like we have a hard time trusting our own power unless it is affirmed by someone else who is in power. I must say that again. It seems like we have a hard time trusting our own power unless it is affirmed by someone else who is in power. So this is something I've told people for years and years and years. Creatives would be entrepreneurs, artists, whoever they are. And I will say to you right now, there are no those people, right? Too many of us live with this unconscious and disempowered idea that there are, that there are those people. And that they are the ones who get to do creative, innovative, and interesting things. Only those people get to start companies. Only those people get to write books. Only those people get to throw cool events and get to be a part of exciting organizations who are working for change in this world. Only those people get to live their dream, use their voice, and live so freely. This is why I will say it again. There are no those people. Do you know why? Those people are you if you live with courage. Those people are you if you take that risk. Those people are you if you realize how powerful you are. See, idols crashing, heroes becoming human, gods falling to the earth, and our would-be gurus being demystified are all essential parts of the exciting path of discovering your own voice and walking your own unique path in this world. 
When the imperfection of our idols are exposed, the power within ourselves is revealed. And as long as we keep projecting all of the magic over there with them, we are never going to recognize all of the magic that is right here with us. And as long as we keep looking to what we perceive as powerful people to authorize our voice from the outside, we will tragically miss out on the authorizing presence of the Spirit of God that is dwelling on the inside. Because there are no those people. Right? Are you with me on that? Do you feel that? Can you already think of, oh man, like there's a special magic I think exists in that person. Oh, if that person said this to me, I would believe this more about me. Do you, can you already see how we abdicate so much of our own sacred responsibility and potential and sort of place it all on a handful of special people? And think it only exists over there. Or think maybe if those people saw it within us, then we could... No. It's all... Whatever we're seeking from them, I, I bet, I bet you know at a deeper level is already true about you. Because there are no those people. Now, back to my trip. I'm going to go back, finish this story and finish this. Back to my trip and that roar event. Right? I'll tell you something funny. So that event... You know, it was a, it was a fantastic time. You know, Father Roar is brilliant. I believe he's a person of integrity and alignment. And I would argue is at the leading edge of culture and consciousness in the West. But despite the profundity shared during the event, you know, based on the ego pattern I described before about idols crashing to the ground, etc. The biggest thing I took away was not something I heard from the outside. It was something more that emerged on the inside. And I have right here, right, I'm going to read a part of what I wrote late at night in a plane ride home back to Hawaii after that event. So I, I'm not a journaler, right? I don't journal, to be honest. I don't, I don't really write in notebooks, in physical ones. I do put notes in my phone, but I don't do stream of consciousness type of writing. And I don't do like journal style devotions of the Bible or anything. So this, it's, I'm not always writing, right? But after I went to that event and, you know, it's funny how just being around people just humanizes them. You know, I remember another person, not Roar, but somebody else at some other point who I, you know, had looked to as like, this is a special person who does special things. And I remember seeing him at an event and just seeing this, you know, writer, speaker, kind of a person like lift their shirt up and to see that like. You know, when it's like the top of someone's pants, it was, it was a guy, the top of someone's pants and you see like a little bit of the top of the strap of their underwear, then just like a little bit of like that side meat, you know, if you, they're like obliques, but it's like that side meat we have right there. And it was weird, like something about just when they lifted their arms to do something, just seeing that made them more human to me. It's the weirdest thing how certain things we'll see in people just humanizes them and it's weird what that does to us, right? So there was, you know... There was just a th being there that happened to me with Roar, which is not surprising me anymore because everybody's human. But there was just this little exchange between me and him that like did that. Right. And like no nothing, you know, he's a great person. Nothing like that. You know, nothing crazy. Just these little things. And so coming back from that event. So 2015, let's say I'm 30 at the time. And this is what I wrote in my, in an Evernote, right? On my computer on the way back. I wrote this. 
in the end, what do I leave with? Do I leave with this electricity of inspiration flowing in me that pumps me up to come back and explode with new life, new resolves, new fortitude? No. Do I leave with this deep, soulful thought that says, I have sat at the feet of the great sages and their presence was felt and powerful and transcendent and in and of itself and it was everything I dreamed it would be and more in some magical, mythical way? No, I didn't say magical, mythical in the, in the writing, but I'm adding that right now. Do I leave with the fundamental new insight about what is going to open up the new, broader, more beautiful, more expansive future of the faith and of the world? No. Well, if not any of those things, then what is the most valuable thing I leave with from this trip and experience? And this is what I wrote. I leave with even more of an acceptance of the power within my voice. I leave with this deep sense of affirmation, parentheses, from the gaze of God, parentheses, that I was on the right path all along. I leave even more, I leave with even more of a desire to create, not because of how it will build my brand, but because of how, how it will build the future. I leave knowing and being grounded in the reality that this is my time to give everything I have. And that's what I wrote that night. So in the end, when our idols have crashed, when our gurus have failed us, when our gods have fallen from the heavens, when our heroes have become human, what we are left with is just us. Do you remember what I said at the beginning of this? Every time... I would lose one of my heroes. I would gain more of my own voice. And you can track that pattern. Every time you realize the people you look up to aren't made of magic, every time you lose them as this weird hero-like figure, you will discover more of the power and depth of your own voice. Right? What we're left with when our heroes fail us, not, not fail us, but when our perspective of them change, they're not, what, what, they're not, nothing's wrong with them. The problem was how we related to them. It isn't about them, right? That's why I say when our heroes have become human, they've always been human. They finally became human to us. And in doing so gave us the gift of our own humanity. Because when our heroes have become human, what we're left with is just us. And if you can dare to see the sacred gift, and responsibility of what that truly means, you will know that is a good thing.